Well, it is almost that time of year again, but why not get a bit of a jump start and find out exactly what you need to know when it comes to filing taxes. There are a number of changes that are coming that are going to be in place, whether it's dates, tax changes and such, that you will need to know if you are filing taxes this year in Canada. And joining us to talk more about this is Jerry Viteratos, National Tax tax specialist with ufile.ca. Jerry, great to have you back on the program. Well, thank you for having me. Happy New Year to you and everybody who's listening. Yes, Happy New Year to you as well. And I should mention, if uh, listeners, if you have a question for Jerry, you're welcome to call in during this segment, star 9898 or 604-280-9898 with your questions about taxes and the changes that are in store for tax filers this year. So, Jerry, why don't we start with that? Because every year there are a few tweaks and a few changes. What are the main ones you think people need to know about this year? I think really the big one and the one that dominates uh, all the news out there is the is the FHSA or the the tax free first home savings account. So um, that's a new program the government introduced in 2023, which is a, a tax sheltered account, similar similar in vein to uh, the RSP and the TFSA. But the difference with this one and the other two is that it's more targeted uh, towards individuals who want to save for the purchase of what the government considers as their first home, meaning that uh, the individual who's saving in this account uh, does has not lived in a home uh, that they owned in the last four years. So the contributions you make to the FHSA are deductible like an RSP and the withdrawal that you make from it uh, when you purchase a first home are, is tax-free. And the government has set the limit at $8,000 annually and $40,000 lifetime. That's one of the big changes. All right. So, and people would know, uh, I would think, you would know if you've taken advantage of that program, and, uh, and, but, but you might not know then exactly what kind of an impact that could have on your taxes. Yes. Well, I mean, it's, it's similar to, to the RSP. Uh, the, the, key, the key why it's important to mention it is the fact that uh, unlike, uh, unlike the RSP and the TFSA, where you accumulate room uh, just by you know, being eligible, for example, with an RSP, when you start your first job, you start accumulating room. Uh, with a TFSA, when you turn 18, you start accumulating room. With an FHSA, you only start accumulating room when you create the account. So if you would be considered a first-time homeowner, and maybe you're not considering necessarily buying a home uh, right away or in the next, you know, five to ten years, it's still worth creating the account and putting money into it because you could basically make the same investments you ordinarily make with an RSP and TFSA, uh, and then later on you could have that tax-free – you could deduct it as well, like an RSP contribution, and then you could have that tax-free, you know, down payment funds uh, that you could use when you purchase your first home. Is it different than if you're using the FHSA, this new, relatively new account, is that different than from somebody who, say, withdrew from their RSPs for that first time down payment? Yes. The rules are the same as far as eligibility, meaning that uh, whether, whether, you're, whether you're withdrawing under what the government calls the home buyer's plan, which is a withdrawal from your RSP, uh, or whether you're withdrawing from an FHSA, you have to be considered a first-time homeowner when you're withdrawing. And again, like I, like I said, the government considers you as a first-time homeowner uh, if you did not live in a home that you owned in the last uh, four years. 
So that's the key. Now, the difference between the two and where the FHSA is, is more, in my opinion, at least more beneficial, is that the withdrawal is tax-free and you don't have to pay it back. Home buyer's plan is essentially a loan. You can withdraw the funds tax-free, but starting the second year after the withdrawal, you have to start paying back your RSP through installments. And the installments are done over fi- a 15-year period. If you don't pay back in, the, in, one, in one year, if you don't pay back your home buyer, your RSP account, then that installment becomes taxable income on your return. So the home buyer's plan is essentially a loan. It's a, ta- it's a tax-free loan that, that you make off your RSP, but an FHSA is literally a tax-free withdrawal. Whatever funds are there when you withdraw to make your down payment, they're completely tax-free. All right. Uh, that makes uh, a lot of sense. Uh, we do have a caller on the line. Jennifer, go ahead. Do you have a question for Jerry? I do. It might not be applicable here, but um, I have been, um, uh, what do you call it, an executor for my dad's estate. Um, There is no money in the bank. It's just in a house. So I have had to take my own personal money to pay lawyers and do all that kind of stuff. Is Is any of that tax deductible? Hi Jennifer, thank you for your question. Um, uh, Jennifer, is the home still uh, is still there, or has it been sold? Yes. No, we're waiting. There's a court case. There's a family law thing going on right now, so we can't sell the house at the moment. Okay, so then what what could happen then is that you could create what's called a, a personal trust, uh, basically an estate. Essentially, is what you what you a testament or what we call in technical terms a testamentary trust, where you transfer the home to that testamentary trust, and then any yeah. fees that you've paid for the maintenance of that testamentary trust, which is basically the maintenance of the home, you can deduct as an expense in the testamentary trust. That's how you would do it. But that you would need, you have to go to a lawyer to create that testamentary trust. Uh, and, yeah. and, then, and then there's a, there's an additional tax return that has to be filed every single year up until the point you dispose of the property. And then once that last asset is gone, then you close the trust. Unfortunately, we can't do that because the uh, house has a lien on it. We can't put it in the trust. So hmm. it's okay. all very complicated. Anyway, okay. thanks for the info. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Jennifer, thanks for that call. Appreciate that as well. Uh, Jerry, let's talk uh, about uh, a couple more changes if we can before we'll take a short break. And again, the phone lines are open. If you have a tax-related question for Jerry, star, <clears throat> excuse me, star 9898 and 604-280-9898. And uh, Jerry Viteratos with uh, You talked about, uh, so the, the main difference if people have taken advantage of the FHSA, the, the Home Buyers Grant, what else do people need to keep in mind that's changed or that they could encounter this year? Okay, so, so another one is related again to housing, and that's the new uh, multi-generational home renovation tax credit. So this is a new, a new refundable credit introduced for 2023 for the, for the return that we're about to file, uh, where uh, if you have renovation expenses related to the creation of a secondary dwelling in order to house a relative, and, and, the, and, and there's a specific definition to what the government considers as a relative or what they call qualifying individual, then those expenses can be used to claim uh, this new refundable credit. And what the advantage of a refundable credit is the fact that uh, even if you're not taxable, even if you're not at a taxable rate, the government will refund you those expenses based on the, the, the percentage that, that they're going to give you. So, for example, for, the renova- for this new uh, renovation ta- multi-generational renovation tax credit, the government is giving you 15% for every dollar you put in up until uh, a limit, uh, a ceiling of $50,000 uh, of, of expenditures. 
So this is great because, you know, we're, we're, we're seeing this now, especially with the aging population. You've got uh, children that are, that are trying to uh, stay with their parents to try to house their parents. And this credit will definitely be a, a leg up and a boost for them. Uh, to be eligible, essentially, the relative has to be a, either a senior or 65 and above or an adult that, that is considered uh, disabled by the government. Uh, and then from there, uh, the relative, the, the, the person, now what's the relation? How is this person relative to you? It has to be, for example, a parent, a grandparent, a child, a grandchild, brother, sister, uh, uh, uncle, uh, aunt, uh, or nephew. So I, I need one of those individuals would be eligible. The key, though, is that the government, it has, it has to be a secondary dwelling, meaning that it has to be a self-contained unit. Mm-hmm. So it has to have a kitchen, it has to have a bedroom, it has to have its own, uh, its own exit to the street. And does it have to be the homeowner then that's claiming it in that what it could it be the if it's the relative that maybe is going to be moving in? Could that person pay for the renovations and make the claim? Yes, either one can claim it for this credit. So it could be either the relative who, or let's, let's, let's use better terms or the caregiver who's, who's housing uh, their relative or the relative themselves. Either one can claim the credit. My guest is Jerry Viteratos, National Tax Specialist with ufile.ca, talking about some of the changes, benefits, deductions, what you need to know before filing your taxes this year. Let's get to as many calls as we can. Nadine in Surrey, go ahead with your question. Oh, hi. Um, just a question about the first home savings account. Uh, my son and his wife were living in a condo up until 2018, Uh, when they kind of outgrew it with the birth of their first child. So they moved in with us at that point, but they held on to the condo and rented it out for a couple years longer. I'm just wondering if they are eligible for a first home savings account. Hi, Dean. Thank you for for your question. Uh, Yes, because because the rule would be, uh, what the government specifies as far as uh, what they consider as a first-time homeowner is that they, they can't have lived in a home that they owned in the last four years. So in this case, they're not living in that home. They're renting it out. They, and they've been renting it out since 2018, which they easily meet that, four, uh, that four-year rule. Uh, so at that point, they should be eligible to create, uh, to create the account. Okay. And when you make a contribution to a first home savings account, is it like an RSP where you're eligible to do that in the first 60 days of the year and be able to deduct that from the previous year's income tax? Or is it only in the calendar year? It's all, yeah, unfortunately, it's not like the RSP. So, so with, the, with the FHSA, it's only the calendar year that counts. So essentially, okay. they would have to have made the, their contribution by December 31st in order to have it count for the tax year. It's not like the RSP where we get that extra grace of the, of the first 60 days. All right. Oh, sorry, Nadine, thanks for those questions. Let's go to Tony in Vancouver. Tony, what's your question? So my question is, uh, my elderly mother is moving into an independent home and selling her primary residence. Uh, On title of that primary residence are herself and her two children. Do we all three have to declare capital gains? Thank you for your question. Uh, The other two children, did they they live in the property at any time? Uh, No. Okay, 
so, so then essentially uh, your mother would not, it will not be taxable for your mother because she can claim the principal residence because she meets the criteria of what the government considers as having lived in the property at one point in the year. Unfortunately for the other two children, their share would be taxable because they never lived in the property. So they can't make the, they can't make the claim that it was their principal residence. So the children would be taxable. The game would be taxable, but for your mother, it won't be because she lived in the property and never rented it, so she lived in it at one point in the year, so she can make the designation for principal residence. All right, Tony, thanks for that question. Let's go to Sherry on the line. Sherry, go ahead with your question. Hi, my question is to do with, actually, last year, even last year, I think, you know when you own property with your family, like that guy was just talking about, but you don't live there, you're holding it kind of in trust for state purposes, do you have to file some kind of special form? Or otherwise, they're talking about you're going to get that fine? Uh, well, if you're talking about the underused housing tax, uh, yeah. which is the new the yeah. new tax that came out, uh, are you uh, are you, where's the property first of all? Is it in Canada? It's, yeah, yeah. It's in Canada. Okay, and and I'm assuming you're a resident and a Canadian or a Canadian citizen. Yes. Okay, so then no, you would not be subject to the underused housing tax because the underused housing tax is more targeted towards uh, individuals and companies that are not residents of Canada or, or citizens of Canada. So, so that's and they're and they're as per the government, they're underusing the property, meaning that they don't they don't use the property either live in it or rent it for at least six months out of the year. Uh, so that that's where you would trigger the underused housing tax. There's other exceptions to the rule as well, but that's the basic uh, rule. So in so this case, basically, no, if you own it with your parents and yeah. you don't live there you don't have to file anything no no not until you sell uh once you dispose of the property uh, then you have a tax you're, then you're gonna have an event at least a, a, a tax event it might not be taxable because if you again the the criteria of the principal residence is not very hard to meet all you have to do is the government just simply stipulates you have to live in it at one point in the year so even if you go there on the odd occasion for a weekend uh, and you stay there for a couple of weekends uh, and so on you meet the criteria of the principal residence which is that you you live in the property at one point in the year but if you did not uh during the year then it is a taxable capital gain that you have to declare. All right, Sherry, thank you for that call. We'll try and get a couple more calls in here if we can. Brad on the line. Brad, go ahead. Hi, I was uh, given a, a bio by my employer uh, May of last year, and I'm getting biweekly payments through the first quarter of 2025. In the early fall, they stopped deducting CPP and EI. Should I ask them to begin making those deductions for me again? Well, I mean, in this case, I believe in this case, you, it might be a retiring allowance. Are you collecting as a cash or, or, or are, you tra- are you transferring it to a pension plan, those payments? Those payments go right into my bank account uh, okay. biweekly. So I'm basically, okay. you know, living off them and uh, it's my it's my. I'm very fortunate. It's my full salary. Okay. Uh, okay. So, so then, are you? Uh, and they admitted a T four for the previous years. They always gave you a T four. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. With a box fourteen, right? It was uh, considered employment income in this case. Correct. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Ordinarily, they should be deducting it, even if you're not working there. Uh, if it's considered employment income, ordinarily you should be paying into uh, CPP and EI. Uh, you, you should, even though you're not uh, working there, you'd have to contact them to see. Unless there's some some other rule, maybe they consider it as a bonus or something along those lines. But if it's considered employment income, ordinarily they would have to they would have to deduct it. 
All right, Brad, thank you for that call. Jerry, we are right out of time, but uh, perhaps we can have you back on the show because clearly there are a lot of questions and a lot more we could go through when it comes to filing this year. So thank you so much, Jerry, and we'll talk to you again soon. Perfect. Thank you for having me.